You have to almost show off to the client that you know everything and that you can make this comment and that you should fight for every single word. But at the end of the day, is that good for the deal? Probably not. Is it costing the client more money? Yes, because it's more billable time. So I, when I'm part of the deal, I'm not making every single comment. I, I understand that I could, but is it gonna make a difference in the deal at the end of the day? It's, it's not. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lodes, and today our guest is Seth Bradley. Today we're going through Seth's journey of being a big law attorney, but not being satisfied with the trajectory that had put him on, to doing real estate in the background, to ultimately being handed a pink slip one day, making some big decisions about what he was gonna do what trajectory he was going to put himself on, and to today being a financially independent real estate investor. We go through his journey, lessons that he learned along the way, key decision-making points, aha moments. We also dig into what he's specializing in today in the real estate space to bring his law and legal profession specialty to the real estate space and add value to his current partnerships. So much knowledge today. For those of you out there, if you're a legal professional or another high-earning, busy professional, not sure if you want to take the leap, take the dive, and get into active real estate investing, or if you want to take the more passive route, this is a conversation for you because we go through that as well. And you can maybe relate to Seth and see if you want to head down a similar path to him or go another way. So much great knowledge. Seth was a great guy to talk to. It was great to have him on the show. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Boat. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. Other people see your reviews. They see that you're learning something. And you know what? I see your reviews. I see that you're learning and engaging with the content. It gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Seth Bradley. Let's go. Seth, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background and your escape from the legal profession, rewind the clock for us and tell us about how you got out of law and into passive income through real estate. Absolutely, man. It's a little bit of a little bit of a story, but first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate that. Say it all started back in in West Virginia. I told you earlier I'm from West Virginia, live in San Diego now, but you know, I grew up in a blue collar background. My mom's a retired school teacher, my dad's a retired coal miner. And, you know, I always grew up with that mindset of trading time for money. And there wasn't really anything else. I didn't know about entrepreneurship or start, you know, starting businesses and, and owning real estate. Like it just seemed like, a, you know, a pipe dream back then. It was only things that like, you know, the local politicians and folks like that did back home. So I thought to myself, what's the best job I can get? And to me at that point in time was to become a doctor. So I went to med school. I did about a year and a half there, ended up dropping out because I absolutely hated it. Got up in the middle of class one day and just walked out. And, you know, I never looked back. I didn't know what I wanted to do after that. So I ended up going to do MBA school because I just wanted to kind of keep that going. Still had the same mindset. Once I got my MBA, I rolled that over into law school, started going to law school because, you know, the next best job in my mind was, okay, well, I'm going to become a lawyer because I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can trading time for money. 
did really well there, you know, went down that traditional pathway, got a big law firm job, ended up doing that for about six years. But all the, that whole time I realized, you know, at different points in time that I needed to kind of get out of that rat race too. It doesn't matter how, how much they pay you. It's still a rat race, right? No matter if you're, you know, whatever you're doing, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a coal miner, you know, you're still trading time for money. So I started investing in real estate basically from day one. I mean, I always knew I wanted to invest in real estate, didn't know why, just knew it was a good investment. So as soon as I started getting a steady paycheck, started saving up to buy a house, house hacked into a duplex in 2013 with my wife, lived in one half, rented out the other one, started buying single family properties, renting them out, renovating them, doing some fix and flips, doing some wholesales on the side. Sooner or later, that ended up being a little bit too much to handle while you're trying to build 2,000 hours a year at a big law firm. I ended up getting fired at one point in time because I was just doing all this other wow. stuff on the side. And you, you just don't have time to do it. Uh, along that pathway, I did start investing in bigger stuff. I started realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm a real estate and securities attorney. So I was closing deals for people, massive deals, hundred hundred thousand, sorry, hundred million dollar deals, all the while I'm fixed and flipping hundred thousand dollar houses. And it's like, well, what, what are you doing, man? You can, you can go bigger. So I started investing passively first in, in some syndications and kind of got comfortable with that idea. And then I ended up making my way over to the active side. Wow. So big journey there. And I think a lot of folks hold themselves back from getting started in real estate because they're afraid of getting that knock on their office or cubicle door that you got one day and you were handed your walking papers. What was that like? Were you prepared for that? Did you see that coming? Walk us through, you know, Seth's day when he got fired and, and how you felt, how you dealt with it. Well, it, it was kind of like that movie Friday where, you're, where he gets fired on his day off. That, that's where I got fired on New Year's <laughs> Eve, actually. I just got a phone call that I just got fired. I was like, wait, are you serious? What, what's going on here? And literally, they were like, yeah, you're going to have to come get your stuff you know, tomorrow. And I'm, and I'm literally just like waiting for my wife to get ready so we can go out for New Year's Eve. And I'm just like, what in the world? It was totally unexpected. Obviously, New Year's Eve is one thing. Second of all, I... They were aware of what I was doing and all that. And I thought that I was keeping kind of everything separate the way that I should have been and keeping my billables up. But, you know, if you're not 100% dedicated to the craft and you're working at a big law firm, it, it tends to not work out because you, you've got to be really focused on that to, to succeed at it. So I can start looking back, I can understand why it happened, but it was totally unexpected when it did. Yeah, they want you to be there all the time. So where were you? Financially, what did your real estate holdings look like at that time? Were you prepared to go with zero active income or was it, oh man, I really need to hustle now? Yeah. Well, you know, I think like I, I had the reaction that I think most people and most attorneys, most doctors, most anybody would have. It was like, oh my God, what do I do now? And I start scrambling and I just sign on to like LinkedIn as soon as I can to see if I can start applying to jobs like immediately. But once I had an opportunity to take a deep breath and, and think about things, I was like, you know what? I do have some real estate holdings. I've got some single family rentals. You know, I've got some syndications that I've invested in. Certainly not making enough or not making as much money as I did in my legal career, but enough to pay the bills. And, you know, that's the direction I wanted to go at that point anyways. I just didn't, you know, have the impetus to do it on my own. So, you know, long story short, it ended up being a really good good thing that happened to me because I don't know if I would have ever taken that step on my own or it would have taken a lot more time. Let's put it that way. I can understand that. A lot of other, a lot of folks out there will have similar feelings to, to when they were let go. 
So what was the next, you know, decision that you made after that next big decision? I don't know if you went out on, on New Year's still, but when you kind of <laughs> regathered yourself and everything, what was that next big step to push yourself forward? Yeah, I mean, so I needed to figure out where, where I wanted to take it. So I had invested passively in some syndications. I knew all along that I did want to go over to the active side at some point. But most people don't. I would say that most people, the best thing for them to do is to invest passively, especially if they are an attorney, a doctor, or somebody with a high paying job. Their highest and best use is probably to concentrate on their active profession, make as much money as you can, and then just take that money and put it into passive investments or other vehicles that are going to make your money work for you. For me, though, I wanted to figure out how to go to the active side as quickly as possible. That kind of kicked me in the pants to, to do it quicker. So I started trying to figure out, you know, what do I bring to the table? And it's kind of funny because at that point, I wanted to move away from the legal profession entirely. So instead of partnering with people as a, as a legal consultant, I started partnering with people to raise capital and, and do these other sorts of things that are non-legal related. And it was slow. It was a lot slower than I expected. It took, a, it was taking a lot more time to scale up than I wanted it to. So, you know, it was a little bit slower. I mean, we did a handful of deals a year. And then as of it was about two years ago, I was like, you know, my highest and best use is as an attorney. Now, I don't like doing it for other people, but if I'm doing it for myself, it's a little bit different. So now I partner with, with sponsor teams that need a legal partner, I handle the real estate work, I handle the securities work, and I capital raise, and you know, I do all the other stuff. I make sure they underwrite and do due diligence so that if I put it in front of my investors, I'm confident in the deal. But primarily, I'm doing the legal work, and you know, it's a valuable commodity. So that's how I partner with people, and that's how I was able to scale and do 14 deals last year rather than doing just a handful. Awesome. So really leveraging your, your skill set there. Did you ever have, I, I think a lot of folks maybe expect a like a rock bottom type of moment in that situation. But it sounds like you were pretty well set. You'd set yourself up so that it wasn't, you know, oh, I need really need to scramble in order to pay my bills. Did you ever have that rock bottom moment or did it kind of feel like after the dust had settled a little bit, like maybe this is the right thing to happen to me right now? Yeah, I don't know if I had the rock, rock bottom. I mean, that was probably it. I mean, just kind of getting fired. And it was, you know, a reasonably soft landing. I mean, it, it definitely hurt my ego a little bit, right? I mean, getting fired, I'm just like, oh my God, what? How you, <laughs> you, you know, you've went to school now for whatever that is, like 10, 11 years, and now you're getting fired. It's like, you know, it just, your ego takes a hit. But again, as you said, once the, once the dust settled and you started kind of taking a deep breath and, and kind of looking at the landscape, it, it ended up being a, a blessing in disguise. So I didn't hit a rock bottom, but, you know, ego-wise, I, I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So real estate investors tend to be very conscious about mindset, talk about your mindset a lot and and the mindset shift it takes to go from being a, an employee or somebody with billable hours like an attorney to an entrepreneur where you kind of are eating what you kill, you own a business and everything. Were there any big mindset shifts that you had to make in order to succeed as a real estate investor, a business owner and an entrepreneur? For me personally, I've always been a bit of a risk taker. No, I don't consider real estate investments risky. I think it's only risky if you don't know what you're doing. But, you know, for me, getting weaned off of that check every two weeks, obviously it's difficult for anyone. But as far as, you know, taking business risks, starting new businesses, buying real estate, I think a lot of people have a hard time getting over that mindset to take those quote unquote risks. But for me, I've always been a bit of a risk taker and I 
you know, it wasn't too much of a, a hurdle for me. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. you got, you got a lot of education. You went, you started med school, you went and got an MBA, then you went to law school. And one of these books over my shoulder, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he talks about the, you know, getting overeducated. Don't basically don't yeah. go do all of those programs. And, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad gives a, a lot of investors, a lot of aha moments in the transformation from being busy professionals to being real estate investors. Were there any big aha moments in your you know journey to being a full-time real estate investor? Yeah. I mean, you know, similar to some of the lessons that you learn in that book, I would say my biggest one was I wanted to go down that traditional path as a big law attorney, making partner, doing all those things, just sticking around and, and, and doing that thing. But then, you know, once I got into it, I started meeting all these older partners, you know, they're in their 60s, 70s, and they're still practicing. They're still billing hours along with all the admin work that they do, along with teaching people like me how to do my job. And it's like, man, these guys are still at the office. They're beating me to the office. They're staying later than me. And I'm just a young associate. It's like, well, if I do everything right, if I bring in business to the firm, if I bill a million hours, if I don't say the wrong things, you know, I, I play the office politics the right way. And I do that for 30 years. You know, I'm going to end up just like these guys. And it's like, is that really what you would call success? Some people would say yes. You know, top of their profession, making a ton of money you know, really good at what they do. But honestly, like if they look back at and see what they've done over their lifetime, man, they spent too much time at the office, right? Like they, they, those guys that are making that kind of money for that long should have already retired. They should be spending time with their grandkids. They should be home with their family. They should be vacationing around the world. They should be doing different things, experiencing freedom. And certainly I didn't want to wait until I was 60 or 70 years old to do that. So I, you know, that was one of the the biggest aha moments was just seeing what what the law firm looked at as success and knowing that that's not my view of success. So why do you think they're still there? They've certainly earned enough money to retire. As you said, do they tend to just blow it all and spend it on cars and houses? Do they lose it in divorces? Or are they just addicted to the work? I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there, but yeah. why don't they break away and, and go retire? Why are they stuck at, in, in the office? Yeah. I mean, I think there's different reasons. I think when you're younger, you do kind of get what you call the golden handcuffs, right? You start making more money, you spend more money, you buy a bigger house, you get a nice car, you buy the nice suits and watches and all the stuff that you don't need. But later on, I think your income does get to the point, you know, as a partner, as a seasoned partner where, you know, you, you can afford all those things and you still have money left over. Certainly those folks that are in their 60s could retire I think they do just get a little bit addicted to the job because they're good at it. They've been there for so long. They're really good at it. They've been doing it for so long. And it's just like, this is who they are at that point. And I think it just becomes part of their identity. And they probably, probably, I know they have. I mean, I've spoken to these folks that speak to attorneys all the time. You know, they've kind of over those decades, they've went through divorces, they've had problems with their families because they've spent so much time at that office and away from those their families. Those relationships are either long gone or they just exist at that point. And it is tough to tough to get that back. A little bit of a selection mechanism too. The folks that are there are the ones that kind of chose to stay for one reason or another. So now I'd like to shift a little bit to learning how you are adding value to your teams with your specialization, your your area of expertise in securities law. And we could probably kick it off by talking about, you know, for people that are in the syndication space, you're probably familiar with 
PPMs, private placement memorandums or memoranda, if you want to be probably a little more proper, how are you able to add either, you know, like clarity or knowledge or, or expertise to that hundred page long document of risks and disclosures and everything like that as an attorney on the team? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I really try to take a business perspective as well as a legal perspective. I think when you work with a third party attorney, they're, they're going to fight for you from a legal perspective. Some of them understand and grasp the business perspective as well, but a lot of them, a lot of them don't. When I partner with people on my deals and I'm handling the legal work, you know, I'm part of the team. I'm almost kind of an in-house counsel type of role. So we're all rowing the boat in the same direction and we're trying to close this deal. I know when I worked at large law firms, you know, we're billing $400, $500, $600 an hour. So whenever we are drafting contracts, whenever we are negotiating contracts, there's almost a feeling where you have to make every single comment, right? Like if you know a way to comment to this provision, you have to do it because you have to almost show off for the client that you know everything and that you can make this comment and that you should fight for every <laughs> single word. But at the end of the day, is that good for the deal? Probably not. Is it costing the client more money? Yes, because it's more billable time. So I, when I'm part of the deal, I'm not making every single comment. I, I understand that I could, but is it going to make a difference in the deal at the end of the day? It's, it's not. So I, get, I work to get the deal done. And if there's any kind of liability or risk that I see being created, I'll present that to the business team and I'll say, here, this is what, if we don't make this comment, this is the risk. Do you want to do it or not? And we move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Another key part of a syndication deal is your operating agreement. And I'll be perfectly honest, I've done many syndications over the years, but I'm not a legal expert, right? I've got my own licenses and everything, but I'm not a lawyer. And I'd love to dig into, in your opinion, what are some key things that we need to know about operating agreements in the context of real estate syndications? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so the, the first thing is that people should understand the operating agreement is the controlling agreement, right? Most people, you know, there's three, three documents when you're doing a syndication. It's the PPM, the operating agreement, and the subscription agreement. The PPM is kind of the, it's the disclosure document. And it's a little bit, it should be easy to read. It shouldn't actually be in legalese. 99% of them are in legalese. It should be in plain yes. language, but, but they're just, but they're not. But anyways, you know, that's typically the document that's at least a little bit easier to read, even though it's long. But really, if there's any conflicts between the PPM and the operating agreement, the operating agreement controls. The operating agreement is your legal controlling document for how things will go down day to day and if something goes wrong. So that's the document you should really pay attention to because if there's any conflict, the operating agreement rules the day. Now, I think that most investors, especially their first deal, second deal, or you know, if they're fairly novice, they kind of just skim through that stuff. But you really need to dive into the operating agreement, understand what it says. If it's your first time, maybe get an attorney to walk you through some of the key terms. I mean, it's not going to cost you a ton of money, maybe an hour of their time, maybe three, four, five hundred bucks. If it's your first time, totally worth it to me. Once you get a little bit more seasoned and get used to reading them and seeing the same thing over and over again, you don't need to. But you know, there are certain things you need to look out for, especially things like, let's say the capital call. You know, those are two dirty words you want to hear. You know, we're in a semi-recession. You're going to hear more and more about that. You need to know when you're going to have to contribute more money and if, if you have to contribute more money. And if you do, what's the mechanism for that? Another thing to look out for is your voting rights. Do you have any voting rights at all? 
And if you do, what are they limited to? Can you vote out the manager if they're doing a terrible job? That's usually one you really need to look out for. You know, what does it take? Does it take a majority, a super majority? You know, it, you've really got to dig into that to see what your remedies could be. Of course, you need to know about your distributions, how you get paid. You need to know about fees, how the manager and how the sponsors are paid. And you also need to understand the liquidity provisions, meaning if you want out of this deal, how do you go about doing it? Chances are you're not going to be able to do it. There'll, there'll be some sort of a right of first refusal. You know, Maybe you can get the manager to purchase. Maybe you can get another member to purchase. But typically, it's going to be pretty difficult to do. And you're going to you know, they're, they're going to buy at a discount. Interesting. Okay. So the voting out of the manager, they're all interesting, but that one in particular is interesting to me in that I, I think I've seen that happen with much bigger deals, but with what we see in the real estate syndication space, I would wonder about the, even the logistics of a, a group of passive investors that are dissatisfied with a deal, trying to get together and even just find the other passive investors. I mean, how would how would you even do that to to get a a majority, let alone a supermajority, together to to hold that vote? What do you think about that? Out of curiosity, yeah. So the books and records of the LLC should be made available to the members. So if you request it, you have a right to know who the other members are. Now sometimes there'll be an exhibit added to the LLC agreement. Let's say after closing, after all the all the members are added and it might get added to that and you can you can just view it. You might be able to get on your investor portal and see that that attachment was added and all the names of the investors are there. Typically, we don't like to do that because we don't want to expose all that unless you ask for it. But the books and records and the other members' information is available to you if you request it. Mm, interesting. So, so. It, it's a, it would be a little bit difficult, obviously, you know, with a bigger deal and you've got 100 investors or something crazy like that, then yeah, you would have to really you would have to work to try to find those people or work to try to see how to go about calling a meeting of the members, right? There's going to be some mechanism in the operating agreement about how a member could call a meeting. And at that point, everybody would get notice and hopefully you'd get enough people to attend to present your, you know, whatever gripe that you might have. Interesting. Well, hopefully none of our listeners ever have to participate in a situation like that. So before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, rewinding a little bit, we talked about, or you touched on actively versus passively investing in real estate. And I'm curious your thoughts about how one of our listeners out there, hiring professional, whether they're an attorney or a doctor or you know engineer, whatever, how can they, what are some questions they can ask themselves to, to, to know if they're like you and they should, you know, think about going for it and being a bit more active or if they're a little more internally formulated to focus on their high earning profession and just passively invest in real estate? What can they think about to make that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's three big things there you need to think about. I mean, it, how much time do you have? How much money do you have? And how much interest do you have? Some people are only interested in real estate because they know it's a good investment. They don't really love real estate. You know what I mean? Like watching HGTV fix and flips and, you know, watching people buy apartment buildings. It's not that interesting to them. They just like it as an investment vehicle. So they just understand that they'd like some ex their portfolio exposed to that. So you need to ask yourself that. How much money do you have? If you have money to invest, if you are a high paid W-2, that you can just take active income and turn it into passive income. That's probably your best bet. And it doesn't take as much work. If you don't have any money, you're probably going to have to put in more work. And then time-wise, 
that's another thing. I mean, how, what are you doing right now? Do you, are you just twiddling your, or your thumbs or do you have time to, to do something? If, if you're, if you have time to be an active person on a real estate deal, your return on your dollar is going to be better, but you're giving up time. So, you know, time, money, and your interest. Mm, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Seth, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Good. I'm ready. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Particular investment. So, you know, I've done, I've invested passively in a ton of deals, dozens of deals. There was one that went full cycle in 11 months. So they two point, I think it's around 2.2x my money in 11 months. So that was probably the best deal because it was so fast. And, you know, something that should normally take about five years took less than a year. And that was just for a, you know, it was a typical 120-unit apartment building. So value-add kind of in the middle of the, the flurry a couple of years ago. So everything was going up, but it was a great investment. Good timing, yeah. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So I invested passively in a restaurant. So oh. that was by far my worst investment. It wasn't a lot. So I invested like $25,000 didn't see a dime of that. So I got a little bit of a little bit of a paper loss on so I got a, a break on my taxes, but other than that, complete loss. The the restaurant went out of business in about 2 years. Absolutely terrible, but the lesson learned was to not invest in something you don't know anything about. Absolutely. Was the operator experienced or anything like were there any signs in the front end that maybe it's just not a great idea? You know, looking back, yeah. So the the main guy wasn't very experienced. But he did partner with a chef who did have experience opening restaurants. So, you know, even looking back, it's like, that still should have worked. I mean, I toured the venue, everything. It was a beautiful, beautiful place, beautiful location, awesome concept. Just wasn't executed properly. And the restaurant business is notoriously low percentage of success anyway. For sure. Well, my For favorite sure. question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Most important, you know, I would say be humble, be willing to learn. You know, if you're the if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong place. But, you know, even if you're in the right place and you aren't willing to learn and accept feedback, then it won't matter. So you really need to be humble, be willing to learn. There's always somebody that's going to know something that you don't know. Be open to that. Love it. Love it. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Absolutely, man. Go, go to SethPaulBradley.com. That'll give you links to you know, social media, all the different things I have going on right now, specifically 
Passive Income Pro. It's passive income coaching. It's meant for folks like W-2s and attorneys and doctors that want to learn how to invest in syndications and do it the right way. And Syndication Shop, it's institutional quality offering documents at a fraction of the price. Awesome. Great deals. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.